Okay. But I was thinking, if it all goes to shit and you've got no content at all, mm-hmm. I could provide now some, like, sound bites. <laughs> no, I'm... Just to help you along. Well, just putting out... This week, just Jack musing. <laughs> well, no, you just... I'll give you, I'll give you a, a little pressy soundboard. Mm. And you just say the thing. And oh, then, and just you going, hmm, yeah. Yeah, what do you reckon? <laughs> do a few of them now. Well, you can give it a go. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. No. When? <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll get you through like three. Yeah. Uh, you need some really specific ones <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah. <laughs> With a watermelon? <laughs> yeah. Do you know that game? You ever heard of that game we used to play in Brighton? No. Because we had a lot of walking to uni. So it's like 40 minutes of walking. Right. Um, and it was Healthy. Yeah. Um and we'd walk me and the slide would walk and we'd we'd play a game where you sort of as you're passing people, you sort of give them a snippet of a conversation. Mm. So as you're passing them all they hear is um they got the pickle out but the jar's still in there. <laughs> 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 so, what what? <laughs> yeah, just uh, what? <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a podcast where I will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from British history, focusing specifically on the lesser known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out. So let's get started with... This story takes place in the Jacobean era, and your three words... Right, Jacobean is 1600s. Do you know, you're not a million miles away this time. It's the 1900s, isn't it? (laughs) Um, well... Jacobean. God, si- yeah, 1600s. I thought Jacobean was French. <laughs> Is it not? Well, n- and... Mm, no, the Jacobites were the supporters of the kings during the Civil War era, essentially. So, yeah, six- 1600s. Okay. There was a little blip where we had a republic for nine years, I think. But generally speaking, it was um, the fucking Stuarts. <laughs> it was the in stewards okay and your three words should you choose to use them say never do indentured don't know what that means oh indentured servant isn't it yep so it's like enslaved Mm. indentured 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 we'll we'll find out tobacco yep profits is this a ship-based one there's boats in this one, isn't there? There's not as many boats as you'd want. There'll be. There'll... I want at least three. Maybe we there might. Is, we might hit three. There is as many boats as so like. Okay, well, <laughs> at least we this we're starting day is just well. Getting better and better. Well, it's about to take a turn um, now because slavery definitely oh. existed in Britain in pre-Roman times. Right. This podcast is adapting as we go from week to week. Yeah. From now on, you've got to let me know what tone we're going in with. We're going in with... sometimes they're like merry. Okay. Or jokey ones, and then sometimes it's slavery. And... Well, you don't know. I'm, no, I'm just I'm, saying I'm that slavery... I'm boats and being all free. Yeah. I'm just saying that slavery definitely free. existed in Britain in pre-Roman times. Warring tribes would enslave those they conquered, and on occasion would even export some slaves to continental Europe and beyond. Mm. Mm. 
However, when the Romans took over, the whole process was streamlined and codified, using the legal frameworks that the Roman Empire had developed over centuries of conquests across Europe. Mm. So the British, it was very little league in terms of the slavery that they were doing, whereas the Romans had a proper industrialised system for it. Um, and they, they Was it that to over. meet demand, though? I, well, yeah, it would have been to meet. Mean? It would definitely have been to meet demand. I mean, they were still an expanding empire when they first took over Britain, and you needed people to do those jobs, you know. And it's it's much easier because all all empires essentially end because they cost too much to keep running. You expand so far that you can't keep up with the the upkeep costs. You know, keeping an army going in all of these separate places. So any free labour you can get, perfect. Yeah, helps helps to keep those costs down. But when you evolve enough that yeah. all the jobs really are to heat your food in a microwave, <laughs> you look at your slave and you're like, you know what? Take the year off. Well, no, you could you could be freed as a Roman slave. There was a way of doing it. It didn't happen very often, but there there were ways. It wasn't it wasn't something that you couldn't aspire to be away from, and that was one of the ways in which they kept order with the slave population that they had was that was it like good behavior yeah you know you could you could um be gifted your freedom by a a kind master um and i think it was saturnalia the the festival that they had you know they'd they'd sort of um turn things around and the masters would serve the slaves for a day and isn't it fun and then you go back to being a slave but you know there was this kind of idea that being a slave took away a lot of your rights in roman society but it didn't totally disenfranchise you so it's like how the like i'm including myself in this like when i get really poor mm. the national lottery kind of has that it's a little bit like the national lottery hope. yeah it's like well some of us can get out yeah even when it's looking so bleak yeah 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 that, that being and freed... that, only, that that mindset only clicks in when my bank account drops below a certain amount <laughs> And when it's above that, I don't think about the national lottery. Oh, God. And then <laughs> yeah. it drops, and I'm like... Is that how you know? I'm thinking about the lottery again. Oh, no. It's when I get down to it, like, buying a scratch card. Oh, yeah. It hasn't happened in years. But I need, uh, yeah. Yeah. I need the hope that it brings. <laughs> yeah. So, the process of selling slaves was overseen by... A slaver. Well, casters, who were low-ranking officials who were in charge of finances. So, basically, accountants. Right. So if you, if you were going to go to a slave market, it would be a bunch of accountants who were, were, were running that. And in order to help prospective buyers make their decisions, each slave would have a detailed description of their physical health, intelligence, and any specific skills hung around their neck at, before the slave market. So you could go and walk through and read what all of these people were like and decide which ones you might want to put a bid in on. Mm. So you can imagine if, if somebody had a, a trade someone had been particularly good at something they'd fetch quite a high price uh everyone who was going to be a slave would also be presented in the auction completely naked so you definitely know exactly what you were getting right you know you couldn't you it wouldn't be you know you get him home and then you realize he's got a wooden leg <laughs> so I'd, I'd, if i was a slave i'd took it took it in <laughs> is that yeah <laughs> The, okay for no gain just just to be um well with a cheeky wink just to throw a spanner in the works he's making us feel uncomfortable yeah, about our buying and I've got a penis. so when the romans left the brits oh god <laughs> uh 
Uh, yes, I, I think it would be in this description that you were a male. I don't yeah. think you'd be able to hoodwink them just by tucking <laughs> it. Um, so when the Romans left the Brits... To do, fem- they, do they see both sides? They're not just I, walking down a line and I've got my I back swear, to I swear, I read this. I've not written yeah, it down, it, but I swear they were like put on a spinning... Uh, what do you call it? A lazy Susan? <laughs> Holy shit. That's awful. Is it a lazy Susan? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's like the thing you have in the kitchen. Yes, yeah, so I swear it was like a rotating platform so that you would be able to see from every angle and know exactly what you're buying because this was it was essentially like if you went and you were buying oh, livestock today awful. you want to know not what a you're lazy getting. susan is it not called a lazy susan no but they, you don't you don't go and buy a cow and it's on a lazy susan <laughs> it's on a, a large lazy susan i don't i don't know that for sure i'd have to ask my, my farmer friends no i think i think they just put them in a in a ring and run them around don't they with a bull i don't know Farmers, if any farmers listen to us, please set us right on this. Do you use giant lazy Susans? Right. I'm just addressing one person here. Okay. Sarah. Are cows bought? Do you rotate a cow before buying it? (laughs) Text me. Okay. And she's likely to know? Sarah will know, yeah. Oh, good. Good. Um, We're relying on you, Sarah. Come on. So... When the Romans left the Brits to fend for themselves at the start of the 5th century, the structured system of slavery quickly fell apart, uh, especially once the Angles, the Saxons and the Jutes started moving in. So These are the tribes. These are the uh, Germanic tribes who came over and saw that the British are basically... When the Romans came over, they basically said to the Brits, right, we're going to give you all of the trappings of civilization, like slavery and you know heated baths and lovely mosaics, but we're also going to take control of all the military stuff like the defense of the country so when they all left you had a you know generations upon generations of the native british people who'd never actually had to fight and never had to actually get involved in any of that stuff so all of these warring germanic tribes saw this lovely country and went hmm wonder how much of that we can grab and it turned out it was the entire thing oh wow yeah pretty much just came over and went nobody here is stopping us let's just keep going see how far we get i mean aggressive males Mm. um you saw you saw it in school and stuff they can just wander in and just keep going yeah yeah and the people that don't have that in them just go okay yep okay well that's that's what happened basically um by 694 the new king of wessex decided to pass a law stating that anyone who sold a fellow countryman, and by this, this was meaning Anglo-Saxons and Jutes, um, into slavery overseas would have to pay Weirgild. It's like a tax. Um, it's, it's the payment that you used to have to make if you'd murdered someone. So if you killed someone, you had to pay Weirgild to... Yeah. Yeah. Basically, it's either you pay that or it's, some it's of the, the consequences. Yeah, so stop retribution. And- yeah. To stop honour killing after honour killing. Uh, And by the time of the Norman Conquest, um, which was, what, about... Just under 400 years later, uh, only 10% of the people in England were slaves. As opposed to what? It being a much higher population before then. I understand that, but you have the percentage of pre... No. 400 year times. No, because unfortunately then we were going through those dark ages... (laughs) Oh yeah, they need to keep the records. <laughs> yeah, um, well, it's somewhere between three and three million. <laughs> three million percent of the people in Britain were slaves. 
I, I don't have the fact, so... Is it weird, like, um, Let's go with it at least clue, where you were enslaved to a slave that was enslaved to you? <laughs> I actually count as three slaves. <laughs> Just me. Um, within 100 years of the Normans getting there, though, it was practically non-existent, with the Church Council of London issuing a decree in 1102 that said... Let no one dare hereafter to engage in the infamous business prevalent in England of selling men like animals. Uh, it was not legally binding, but it did kind of capture the mood. So you could still do it, but the church was saying, yeah, we're not down with this anymore. You know, we've we've moved past this element of civilization. Um, and like I say, it wasn't league. It wasn't put down that you couldn't own a slave legally. Um, and slavery didn't actually go away. What it did do was it went through a rebranding exercise. It was now known as the catchy title, Serfdom. Oh. So you're not a slave anymore, you're a okay. serf. Serfs would receive a small parcel of land and a cottage from a local landowner. And in return, they provide rent and they provide free labour. So they, they'd be given just enough land that they could grow enough to keep the family fed. But they were expected to prioritise the tasks that the, the landowner had. So when the landowner needed his stuff, bring it in from the fields. When he, he wanted his stuff harvesting, you had to prioritise his. Right. Which was a bit of a bummer because harvesting it was pretty much at the same time. So the one time you needed to get the food in for yourself and your family, you were also expected to get it in for your leisure lord. But you got a free house out of it. Yeah, you know, I mean, you you basically you you couldn't, and you're protected by. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the idea. So this was where you got to the point where the serfs would do the um, work in the fields; they grow the food. The knights and the landowners would be the military classes, so they protect the realm, and the church would be looking after you know everyone's souls. So there was a division of labour there. That was the way they sold it. It's like, well, you're doing all the backbreaking labour in the fields. But it's, we're we're going to fight all the wars for you. It's hard to judge. Hmm. You really can't get your mind into that place and time. No, but, in, in, you know we're so safe now, hmm. for the most part. It's it's the it's the way that they. I'm sold not saying it. yes. It's the way that great. they sold it though. Was you know you're doing that, but we've all got a part in this society. And yes, I get all the land and all the stuff, but I'm the one who goes and fights the battles. So I'm the one who's going to be front and centre fighting. I mean, never mind the fact that they always took you know, a lot of men from the local oh, populace yeah, yeah. and that, generally speaking, knights wouldn't kill other knights and you just kind of ransom each other. It's all a bit of a game. But still, the, the sort of the view was, I'm going to put my life at risk to preserve our country. So the least you can do is bring my crops in first. I just imagine the serfs at the front sort of being mm. the horse barrier. <laughs> <laughs> The horse breakers. <laughs> Human shield. <laughs> Division. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, they'd they go with, uh, a lot of them would go with just, you know, the the, to the tools they had. Yeah. Because a, a lot of farm equipment can do some damage. And like you say, yeah. If you've got something that's long and pointy, get them to the front. Let's see if we can't break up that cavalry charge a bit. <laughs> I thought it was being so, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was being so cool making a wooden spade. <laughs> facing pikes <laughs> shit um, so yeah and technically you couldn't sell a serf to another landowner so you couldn't sell people 
Right. But what you could do is you could sell the land that the serf lived on. And as they couldn't afford to move, the serf would be expected to obey the new landowner. So essentially, you could sell a person. Yeah, yeah. You just sold the land from under them, and they they came with it. If, it's, if it's anything, sort of group bookings. Yeah, if anything, it devalues the human because the human is just sort of like something that comes along with the land. Yeah. You, at least the Romans were paying for the human, whereas the by the time we get to sort of like the Norman Conquest and the Middle Ages, it's no, I'm going to pay for the <laughs> land, like, and if there happen to be some humans on it. Yeah. I'll also get them. It's like selling your house and going, oh, the mice are free. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like if we sold this house now and, oh, and also there are two cats uh, and two children. So enjoy those. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) We're off. But if that sounds like they've been devalued, they did get legal protections. So unless they were a lower class of serf called villains in grow or in gross. Villains? Villains, yeah. Is this the derivation of Of the the word word villain villain. i assume so because it was the lowest of the lower villain they could be sold and had practically no legal rights a bit like a slave so you had your serfs and then you had your villains who were like serfs without rights and what was the distinction between the two um more like an attitude did a villain have the attitude of a villain I think, I, I don't know. I think the villains were basically like serfs without land that they were themselves. They were completely reliant on the landowner to provide them with food as well. Right. And sort of like in, in return for that, that you're not even growing your own food. Um, I'm going to take away all your legal rights because, sod you, you're not a landowner. Yeah, you're worthless. Yeah, you, you are literally worthless. You're worth only the labor that you provide me. And I'm feeding, I'm giving you the energy for that. You're basically like a, a machine that I put yeah, yeah. food in and get labor out of um there was another upheaval in the status of the poorest in england though in the wake of the black death in 1348 when a sudden shortage of labor oh wow meant that the landed gentry had to try and tempt the remaining labor to choose to work their land over somebody else's so suddenly it's a, it's a buyer's market yeah a seller's a market. Seller, yeah suddenly if you're selling your labor people are clamoring for it because they don't, you know, they don't, they, it's time limited. They don't want the harvest sitting in the field spoiling. They need you. And a lot of the surviving poor people, because let's face it, the Black Death has everything pandemic-wise always affects the poorest the most. So they've they've been decimated. And those remaining people are going, right, this is, this is the only upside I can take. The silver lining to having my entire extended family die is that now I can, I can claim I am worth more than the pittance that I was being given. Yeah, and he and the, he owns all her tools. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> He's looking at his four-bedroom house, <laughs> wondering what he can do. Oh, God. Yeah. So. Yeah, things are looking up. Surf's up. Surf's up, yeah, And it did improve the lives of the peasants in England, but only after the peasants insisted that it should be via a series of revolts. The levellers. Um, uh, no, the levellers are way later on. So this is like Watt Tyler uh, and the peasants' revolts. Watt um, Tyler? Yeah. All right. Because the upper classes have never and will never cede any power unless they absolutely have to. So even in this situation where they're saying, look, you've got to, you've got to start thinking about treating us like humans, like proper men who have autonomy and maybe we will want to move jobs um, they had to really fight for every single bit of that. And a lot of the leaders got killed. Right. I'm not going to lie. Most of the people who led these revolts got killed. But in the wake of seeing that actually, 
shit, we can't just keep... We've got a, we've got a small labour force here now. Mm-hmm. We can't just keep killing them because eventually we'll have no labour force and then we'll have to do it ourselves. So they ceded a bit of power. Just keep them happy. Yeah, as the minimum. The minimum. That's always the thing. We'll give you the bare minimum to get you to start working for us again. And then we're going to ratchet it there and just hold it. So it's like the postcode lotteries come along. (laughs) (laughs) So... Who's um, that knocking at your door? But that started a slow progress towards democracy, really. Because once they'd started to say, okay, we're going to have to start to give these people some choice over their lives, that kind of thing's quite intoxicating. And the idea is, you know, it gets bred in that, no, you should you should be able to choose to leave a, a bad lord if yeah. you want to. It's not just your lot. You know, people have got to actually start to make it tempting for us to work for them. We can vote with our feet to a certain degree. Uh, but the final surviving pseudo-slavery in the UK was the practice of indentured service. So they moved on again. It's, you know... The is, re- that, is that you owe time? Right, so the rich had to find a different way of getting cheap labour and it was essentially a contract that a person would sign promising they'd work for another for no pay for a set period of time so that's what the the Sea Org in Scientology is you know this? no they sign a billion year contract that is a terrible contract yeah (laughs) a billion years billion years these uh, the most common form of this indentured servitude would be apprenticeships so a young lad would sign to become an indentured servant or an apprentice to uh, a master tradesman and would work for them for free for seven years or however long it was. And then the idea was at the end of that, they'd have a, a skill that they could then use to, you know, keep them going for the rest of their life. They'd be, you know, yeah. they'd have their employment. And you did have to kind of feed your indentured servant. You did have to clothe them and house them. So there were running costs to them. Uh, but that was that was about it. Which is pretty good. And it's probably just a coincidence that apprentices from this time onwards are mentioned in practically every disturbance, riot and uprising throughout the Tudor and Jacobean eras. Really? <laughs> it's the young, virile males. Who have no standing in society because yeah. they own nothing. Yeah, yeah. And they know they're not going to own anything for like five years. So There's if you're going to have... much a, to risk. Yeah. If you're going to have a riot, it's just like, well, I, oh no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're going to take away that house I don't own and that family I don't have yet. Damn. No golden handcuffs. Ah, oh, bless them. Um, the concept of indentured service would also find a key role in colonising the new world. Right. Mm. I've just realised that we, we haven't even started the story yet. No, we've not. We've just been talking about how we got to the point of indentured servants um, and uh, slavery to the Jacobean era. Go, so in 1782... John McCarthy was eating pickles by the sea. That is amazing because the guy's <laughs> name is John. <laughs> really? Let's no, get into it. No, it's oh. not. Um, <laughs> with Spain in control of South America and the French making inroads into what would become Canada, all that was left of the New World was the mid-Atlantic coastline, the middle bit. What's that? America. Oh, sorry. <laughs> the United States of America. Um A colony had already been attempted at Roanoke in 1580, but mainly due to the fact that Sir Richard Grenville was the worst possible leader of anything ever, and for people who don't know about him, see episode one. See our very first episode. Did Uh, I do that with you? No, Matt did. Uh, The Roanoke colony had been immediately abandoned uh, because he was supposed to um, just take them over there, and he ended up 
pirating Spanish galleons because he wanted some Spanish stuff. Um, And he ended up holding his ship, which meant he lost most of the supplies they were supposed to land with. And then because he'd been causing such an uproar in the Atlantic, the um, relief ships that were supposed to be bringing across more supplies couldn't get there. So the, the guys who had landed on Roanoke were supposed to have enough food for three years and another boat was coming within a year. And what actually happened was they ended up landing with enough food for maybe a year if they were frugal and no other boats were coming. And they were eventually found half starved by, um, it was uh, Sir Francis Drake and he offered to take them back, <laughs> back to England. And they all went, yes, please. <laughs> this is a terrible idea. I We'd like to like leave. we did this episode. No, 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 no. Definitely. Definitely, Matt. Um, I'm going to listen to it right now. That still could be me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, despite the previous failure of the Roanoke colony, uh, there were plenty. That's the Richard Grenville incident, wasn't it? Well done. Uh, There were plenty of people who were convinced that successfully settling the middle part of the Americas could provide undreamt riches because they'd seen what the Spanish had landed on in South America and they were like, I'm sure there's gold just all the way up that thing. Yeah. This is the golden continent. Let's just do it. Um, And in 1606, two separate companies uh, were granted royal charters to settle areas on the mid-American coastline. The Plymouth Virginia Company and the London Virginia Company. Because, of course, the King of England had every right to offer out charters to do stuff in a country he hadn't invaded no you know it, we'd left a flag i assume He'd on roanoke own, but no one owned it at this point yeah no one no one in was there his mind yeah um weirdly well, well i suppose did anyone know there was anybody there yes yes yeah, because um yeah they the the settlers were trying to rely on the local um oh so it wasn't peoples. a case of we we were aware that there is some sort of landmass here Oh no, we don't know. In the same way, the, like the sort of the Aztecs and the Incas and all those down south have made contact, and all of the native peoples in Canada have made contact. We we knew there were people in the middle bit, right? Uh, but they didn't count because they weren't European. So weirdly, there was an overlap in the territory that the two companies were granted. So they were both given the rights to settle and farm and do whatever they wanted to do in two areas that happened to have quite a big sort of section in the middle of the Venn diagram. Um, But they agreed between themselves, gentlemen's agreement, they wouldn't build settlements within a hundred miles of each other. So that's fine. Right. Within a hundred miles. I mean, what are you thinking is going to happen? That seems a a massive exclusion zone. I suppose... We're going to be so successful, this 100-mile radius will be filled with stuff so quickly, we can't afford to have you even 99 miles away. Yeah. We'll be expanding into that so quick. I mean, so forward-thinking. It's so optimistic. It really is. In the event, it didn't matter, though, uh, as the Plymouth Company's first colony failed after only 14 months when they didn't negotiate for help from the native Aben... I've got to get this right. Abenaki tribe. So proud of you despite having almost no food to sustain them over the winter. So what happened was they landed, they set up a fort and they 
called it Fort Plymouth or whatever they're going to call it and this is going to be our thing and then they realised that they had no survival skills they didn't know the territory they didn't know what was edible they had you know some salt fish I should imagine some other goods that they brought with them mm. and winter's coming and the locals bless them came and took pity and said well you know if you trade with us we can definitely help you out here <laughs> no we don't need the help of you you who have lived off this land successfully for thousands of years so this is the Plymouth Virginia company yeah. so where are they from are they English people yeah yeah so it's not just a London Virginia company that's the first that... it's the London and the Plymouth they were both financed from London right, okay. but the people came from all over the country because it was the new world you might be able to make your fortune and it's that buy the lottery ticket you know, right. oh I'll go over on the boat and it might be terrible, but also we might land the first river we come to might just full of gold, and that'll be me. Well, that's the that's the thinking you have, isn't it? Yeah. No one on that boat is thinking other. <laughs> yeah. Then this but, is going to be a great yeah, success. You know, it's going to fail. <clears throat> so time to adventure. The, the problem they had was, you know, someone offered them a way to to get a leg up, and they went, "No, right. I don't need your help. I'm British," and they returned, unbowed. <laughs> Yeah, they just went, well, this is obviously a place you can't live. (laughs) Because we couldn't manage to stay just over here. We will help you. (laughs) Come back whenever you want. No, it's uninhabitable wasteland and dirt. Um, The London company, though, had a bit more success. uh, Founding Jamestown on the James River. King James just so happened to be on the throne at the time. (laughs) We should call it Jamestown. What's that? James Mountain. Is Jamestown a... It's a college now, isn't it? I don't know. Jamestown. I, I know it, it exists in Virginia. Mm. Um, yeah, so on the James River, uh, just just down from James Mountain, yeah, and the, the plains of James, yeah. <laughs> spreading out where the majestic <laughs> <laughs> buffalo or James sheep, as they've become known, <laughs> uh, would would go. Um, you would. Everything would be called Joe, whatever. <laughs> it would, yeah. yeah. You have to. <laughs> That, that is Joe Rock. That is Joe Flag. Joe Hill. <laughs> Joe Tree. What are these, Joe Berries? Of course I would. Yeah. You'd, you'd take as many, because only one needs to persist. You know, they can change all the others, but just as long as one persists. Yeah, you yeah, live on forever. Yeah, I'm there. Um, again, the supplies from England for Jamestown didn't arrive on time. And again, the colonists managed to provoke the local tribes rather than negotiate for support uh, by killing some of them. This led to a period affectionately known as the Starving Time. Oh, God. After 80% of the colonists died of starvation and illness in the winter of 1609, the survivors, who were the ones who'd had the stomach to resort to cannibalism, uh, finally decided maybe maybe they got it wrong. Maybe they needed to go back and have another think about how they were going to do this. When the river finally unfroze, the remaining settlers were literally setting off to sail back to England, where they would presumably never speak of what happened. Uh, when a relief fight ship... Fight the hunger. <laughs> that new hunger they have. <laughs> For the rest of their lives. Because yeah. Yeah. After, the, after you eat your first body and yeah. go through like, the whole psychology of getting your head around that. It's meat. The second one's quite easy. <laughs> well, they had 80, 80% of them had died, so they had a lot of bodies to be working yeah. on. You know, um, all, all frozen. Yeah, it's like your own um, larder, isn't it? <laughs> Just get another one out of the deep freeze. We'll, we'll be gone for weeks. And you called it the starving times, yet you all seem to be remarkably well fed. 
Yeah. Would you get like a, you know, a mad cow? Was mad cow because the cows had been fed with beef? I, I, no, I, I think it was a bacteria. It was some kind of um, infection or something. Isn't there some sort of scandal where the animals no, were no, fed by their it, own species? That probably didn't help. Right. Because it would have spread, you know, because if, if it was a case of trying to save money with, oh, this one's died, we'll mulch it down and we'll feed it back into the system. Mm. Then if that one died of mad cow and you've just sort of ground it down and put it in with the feed, then suddenly oh, you're infecting all the idiot. others. I thought it was something about eating, it. <laughs> eating but, your own species that makes no. you crazy. No, a lot of, a lot of animals are cannibalistic. Um but just generally not humans. It's, it's I thought it was like the, the cows just, once they found out... They, <laughs> they got the a cow. taste for cow blood. <laughs> it was like, they you... were eating it for months and then when they realised it was cow, it just sent them all mad. <laughs> you think they had some kind of spiritual, <laughs> yeah. higher consciousness awareness of what was going on? And yeah. like, oh God, no, I'm a monster! <laughs> <laughs> so when they, they're eating a bit of flesh and they recognise the number that's been branded on... Alan? Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> I've become like them. Yeah. They told me you went to Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. But yeah, the the river unfroze, and they got on the boat. The remaining people got on one boat. I just like ski. They turned up in like six boats. They got on one boat. Yeah. <laughs> That's all they were going to need, and they started heading back. Um, and they were halfway towards the James Estuary at the end of the James River when a relief ship full of supplies arrived. And because they couldn't really explain why they were leaving now that there were loads of supplies, they had to turn around and go back to the scene of the crime and try and just cover up the fact that they'd been eating people. Yeah, you get them, you're like, oh my God! <laughs> Sorry, blew out the mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like they, had to, they had to hightail it back quickly to hide the evidence. Like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll just go and clean up for you. Hide them, hide them. <laughs> just they're digging a big pit. Like, what are you doing? Nothing! What you'd, you'd send some of your guys would go one way and a few would just sneak off to the, the scene of the crowd. That's how you'd do it. Mm. Are you clear out quickly? Well, we'll, we'll keep them there. 4,000 bodies. <laughs> we, we, we should have started burying them a long time ago. I'm so full of Jeff. <laughs> but they got there. Um, and the new leader, Lord Delaware, decided the issues that the colonists have faced were entirely the fault of the local tribes. And he decided the only thing to do to send a clear message about who's in charge now was to burn down their capital. So he went to the local indigenous village and he burnt it to the ground. It's like, now we'll have no problems. I mean... Never mind the fact that us killing them rather than trading with them resulted in in cannibalism. We just need to kill them harder. (laughs) That'll be fine. Unsurprisingly, this led to a war. Uh, that was eventually ended after four years by Pocahontas marrying an Englishman called John Rolfe. That's not true. That is true. I didn't realise she was real. She was. Definitely. See, Disney does this. Mm. It does. It it takes things and it bastardises them. Sorry, House of Mouse is not where you go for your historical accuracy. Ariel. No, there are no mermaids that we know of. Although, yeah, the the story was pre-written. Obviously. Um, So, yes, she married an Englishman, John Rolfe. John was the most eligible bachelor in the colony. His wife and child having died during the starving time. So I should have mentioned John was there for the entire 
were, were cannibals now thing. So oh, he Pocahontas married a cannibal um, who may have allegedly eaten, who may have allegedly eaten his own wife and child. Um, and this was because he had decided it might be a good idea. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the next line really shouldn't have followed that. So we need to back off the mics because it's yeah, okay. blowing. So, um, yeah, but despite the fact his wife and child had died, he was still considered the most eligible bachelor oh, in Jamestown. Left no, because there's a new supply ship, new settlers, loads more people had turned up, but he had decided it might be a good idea to try growing a new crop to improve the finances of the Jamestown colony during the four years they've been fighting with the native peoples. And the crop he chose was tobacco. Oh, I was going to guess. What were you going to guess? Pumpkins. Right. I it wasn't. Was... It's tobacco because it was in the start. Yeah, it's tobacco. It was. It's one of your words. It was, yeah. Memory. Tobacco. <laughs> uh, John had managed to sell his first crop for a profit in 1612, and soon everybody wanted to start their own tobacco plantation. To do this, the colony needed to expand massively against the wishes of the local tribes. But luckily, Pocahontas had died by this time of a disease she probably caught from the fact that she was spending time with Europeans. Um, And a second war was able to kick off in 1622. I'm pulling your mic back a little bit. Okay. Uh, Don't lean closer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So a second war kicked off in 1622. I don't like how happy you were about Pocahontas dying. Let's Let's try and... Be sensitive to the... I'll, I'm sensitive. I know you're excited. I'm sensitive to it. The thing is, the story is held up as... And it helped these two different cultures to, to learn to live in peace. And it's like, no. It, it was basically, a, you know, just a gambit to postpone the war until such a time as the Europeans were super sure they were going to win. Right. And then it was, okay, back off to war. You know, um, and in 1622... They had a lot more colonists because they'd been able to keep shipping people over and say, no, 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 don't worry. We're not going to expand beyond where you've said we can expand. It's all fine. Um, And the natives, I should say, you know, the indigenous people, um, they started it by killing over 300 colonists. The colonists responded by pretending to negotiate a peace and then poisoning 200 of the natives. Oh, God. So the the opening manoeuvres killed 500 people. Is that a good proportion of the people that are involved? Uh, in terms of the colony, it's a fair old whack. Right. Um, but despite the significant bloodshed, dodgy supply lines and ever-present risk of further attacks, the Jamestown colony began pulling in serious profits from the tobacco plantations and more and more people from England... Who's, who's working on them? At the moment, it's the colonists themselves. Right, so not, it's not slaves and... No, no right. the colonists are doing doing it themselves, but it's a very popular crop back home because smoking's, you know, a thing... When when did smoking start? Was well, it with the... Yeah, with the advent of the travelling over to... So the, they, they must have picked that up from the, the Native Americans. Can you say that anymore? It's not Native Americans. Indigenous Americans. Indigenous or, Americans, yeah. yeah. Um, so so First Nation as well, I think you can say. So they, 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 so they must have been taught it. So it, was, it must have happened in those like few years that it, it became a thing. Because no. there's no Europeans turning up finding the leaf think drying out and realizing they can smoke it I'd, I'd have to look into the history of tobacco all i know yeah. is that at this moment they'd found a bit of the country 
were it just it was right for tobacco plants. I'm just thinking and of that they were first having a massive ten years yeah. of tobacco. No one's heard of tobacco. No one smokes. I'm sure. In the first sure, other people were growing tobacco before then. I'm sure it was known. It's just that now was a chance. They were in fertile land, and they had a, a population back in England where it was in vogue. Oh, so it's right. like we, you know, we can. I really... thought it was like the the invention of to, you know, smoking tobacco in European countries. I will look into that for you, okay. but I don't know when. We'll cut all that out because it was useless. Yeah. So yeah, so the second war kicked off in 1622. The indigenous peoples got sick of the expansion, killed 300 colonists as a sort of stay on your land kind of thing and Lord Delaware said okay what we'll do is we'll say that we got the message and we'll ask to talk to them and we'll invite them around for a big party and then poison them all because that's what you know brave military commanders do they come up with a plan to poison and these these wouldn't have just been the leaders because it was you know it was supposed to be peaceful so it would have been families um but yeah even with the tit-for-tat killings even with the risks there were a lot of people in England who, piss poor farmers, thought, well, if I can go over there and I can get myself a plot of land and start growing tobacco, maybe I can, maybe I can, you know, be, be rich. Maybe I can be somebody, you know, who's managed to break out of their class and yeah. into the middle classes. That makes perfect sense. And that is what brings us back to indentured servitude. You see, a substantial workforce was needed to tend and harvest the crop and the colonists were getting overwhelmed with the amount they had to do so they offered because they were flush with cash now to pay the passage of anyone who wanted a new life in america and in return they would have to sign over seven years of their lives as an indentured servant they would work for their temporary master in return for food and a place to live and then after seven years they'd have the opportunity to go and stake a claim on a different plot of land and start their own plantation so it was you're paying off it's um you know it's almost like a mortgage on the life you want to have you go over there and say, right, I'll work for you for seven years. And then after that, well, it's here. like you're in debt for the, the, the passage, isn't it? For yeah. The That's pretty much how they were doing it. And yeah. it's like, there's no way you could get there by yourself. Yeah. If you want to take this risk. Yeah. This I is the interest. I'm charging massive interest on yeah, this, yeah. but yeah. Oh yeah. I'm going to screw you to the wall for the opportunity. <laughs> and plenty of people, despite that decided it was a good deal. And a regular supply of workers was flowing across the Atlantic to provide essentially free labour. How long's that um, trip at that point? I think it was months. <laughs> so yeah, oh, across the Atlantic as well. So pretty rough yeah. crossing. Um, the issue with that plan, I'd of be, course, I'd be so crabby. I'd be such a crabby passenger. Yeah. But yeah, the issue with the plan is that it's basically a pyramid scheme. And only those at the top would really benefit because obviously while they've got all of these indentured servants, they're making their own plantations the biggest and the most powerful and the most influential and they've got all the local power. So when these people get to the end of their seven-year term, they're not able to actually compete with the with the businesses they've helped to set up as these massive powerhouses. Right. And they're ending up having to just kind of work for them anyway. Just, you know with piss poor subsistence wages but it's like how like butchers and stuff are now um delivering amazon packages <laughs> yeah 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 it doesn't it doesn't work for everybody you get these really powerful people and it's just the issue for the landowners though and the tobacco plantation owners is normally with a pyramid scheme what you do is you get as much profit as possible and then at that opportune moment if you're good you cut and run that's the idea 
you take all the profits and then you cut and run, but they own a plantation, they can't cut and run. And they suddenly found there wasn't, there was a lot of people who were coming to the end of their indentured servant sort of time and there was no way for them to actually have the American dream and they were likely to be pissed off. Right. So it wasn't a sustaining way of keeping the free labour coming in because eventually you're just going to build up this massive sort of population of really annoyed people who'd come over what they would feel under false pretenses and every year more people who'd gone through their seven years were adding to their ranks oh, and no. you were having to bring more people over with this false promise. Um, if only you could get a workforce that... Yeah. Indentured for the whole of their lives. And well, their children. yeah. Who never reached the end of their term? That's yeah. true. Then they'd continue to make the huge profits, and they wouldn't have to keep importing people who might eventually become competition or disgruntled. You're right. That's what they need. Um, Africa. <laughs> Is it coming? Well, no, because there was also another issue that they had to deal with these big sort of landowners, these these tobacco plantation owners, because. You get throat cancer. <laughs> probably that too. I should you imagine know, how much grubby. Th- oh. I have to. Well, you have to try a Just batch, really a bit of each uncut. batch. Don't you? You're not getting Marlboro lights, Joe. No, you're getting rough, rough you're shag. Getting, you're getting drum blue. <laughs> All the old rolling smokers will understand that. I like drum. You could also get drum white, <laughs> <laughs> which was light. Yes. Yeah. Drum white. Squeaky clean. <laughs> like daz for your lungs. Um, but there was also the issue that they had to put up with, that some of the indentured servants who arrived then decided they'd made a terrible mistake uh, and they didn't want to stay for seven years doing a job that they hated in a place they couldn't stand with a future that was very uncertain. And sometimes they would feel strongly enough that they would run away from their master and either try to secure a return trip to Britain or set up in a different colony and hope they didn't get caught. Because by this time, you know, settlements had been going all up and down the eastern seaboard of America. So you could run and try and just, you know, there, there weren't photo ID anymore. You'd just run and come up with a new identity and try and build a life somewhere else. And there'll be communication between these different colonies. Yeah, there was. So you'll hear stories of like, oh, Tony's Big Leaf and <laughs> up the road. It yeah. treats them quite nice, this opportunity. Well, you'll hear stories. You'd, you'd hear so, but also, you know, it's that's all you get. It'd be like, we've, you know, three of our servants have run off. Then, it, you know, they look a bit like this. So you get these people running away, just trying desperately to change change their look, change their appearance. No. <laughs> I know. <laughs> all got ponytails. <laughs> Bless them. You could imagine the situation. You, you go. No those, no, those slaves had teeth. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you imagine the situation. You go over the. And after and a week, is. <laughs> a week of a seven-year term, you're just like, this isn't the job I thought it was at all. Yeah, this is terrible. And this I'm, wasn't in the brochure. I'm guessing they were playing down the regular sort of attacks they were having from from local indigenous peoples and just the, the sheer level of because there's hardship. no there's no feedback or, no. or the, like the the time at which it take the news to travel back to England. To, to the pool well, the of new, potential, but the news is also being fed slaves. in by these tobacco owners, and at this point, they were like, well, "We need more people to come over. We need more servants." So we're just going to tell them that it's the land of milk and well, honey. Yeah, that's and what I'm saying. Great, like, yeah. there's, see, you're getting the sales pitch because they need them. So 
on the in England, you, you just think it's an amazing opportunity because there's it. no news from the people who have actually experienced it. Or you've got a few of them in the catalogue. Well, you've got that like, lovely seven-year window love... where no one can go back. So it's like we've got seven years to fleece as many people, which means you basically get 13 years of people working for you on this before, yeah. you know, you'd even get a peep of someone deciding against it. Do you love sitting in a hammock and watching your day slowly pass as the sun kisses your cheeks? Virginia. It's the easiest job I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. John from Bristol. <laughs> you know I can't believe that. I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> Joan from Kidderminster. No, you could say whatever. That's it, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Hugh Gwynn was a wealthy landowner, a member of the legislature of the Virginian colony, a justice of the peace, and I'm assuming Welsh. Right. Uh, he was also apparently a pretty rubbish boss. So rubbish, in fact, that in 1640, three of his indentured servants decided they'd take their chances, and they ran vaguely northwards along the Atlantic coast. They made it to Maryland, a distance of 200 miles through hostile terrain on foot, which was pretty impressive. Oh, yeah, because it's like bears and shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course, this is... The... He's been chased by bears. Yeah, this was... We're still at the point where it wasn't like, you know, they'd um, civilised the... the East and they were pushing into the Wild West. It was just like there were dots of civilization. And they don't, they look at you... The bears look at you and they don't recognise you as humans. They just see you as land salmon. <laughs> 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 These pink bodies. <laughs> Sunburn. Oh, yeah, because they just they would have just run. I don't think they, they took provisions and stuff. They were just like, right, let's go. There's three of us. <laughs> you know, if, if two of us have to eat one of us, we can make it. We'll do this. Cannibalism's fine in America. Uh, yes, yeah, so they made it. But unfortunately for them, Hugh Gwynn was very influential. He was a powerful man. Uh, he also suggested to the governor of Jamestown that people refusing to work for no pay and simply walking away from their indentured servitude set a dangerous precedent for all the plantation owners. Because if if you let anyone get away with doing that, then it gives everyone the idea that it's a possibility. Mm. You know, you've got to come down hard on these people. Uh, so a message was sent to the governor of Maryland explaining the position. Uh, That's funny, that, isn't it? Because you, you reach a fork in the road of um, approaching that problem. Mm. And it's either, <laughs> yeah, it's either improve the conditions for the workers to... Like keep them to stay yeah. there, or punish them so radically that they're too afraid to leave. So which way yeah. are we going? Well, Hugh Gwynn, he's he's not on the. Uh, he doesn't like the carrot. He likes the stick. <laughs> does he? He does. <laughs> he's given it a name and everything. He polishes it nightly. That stick. His yeah. spanking stick. Um, so the three guys they were caught uh, and they were brought back to Jamestown for a trial. So a Scotsman, a Dutchman. And a Cameroonian walk into a court. The Scotsman, James Gregory, he was sentenced to being whipped 30 times, having a year added onto his term of service and having to spend three years as a general dog's body for the colony before he would be free. Mm -hmm. So that takes his total up to 11 years. The Dutchman, known simply as Victor. <laughs> I'm Victor. Yeah. No, but what's your surname? I'm Victor. Okay, Victor. Uh, he was sentenced to being whipped 30 times, having a year added onto his term of service and having to spend three years as a general dog's body to the colony before he'd be free. All right. So that's 
11 years again. Then it was the Cameroonians' turn. I, f- I don't feel like he's going to get a fair oh. crack of this whip. Well, John Punch, he'd, he'd seen oh. what had happened to the other two. Uh, and he wasn't surprised when he was told he was going to be whipped 30 times. Then, after the whipping, things definitely took a turn for the worse. When the justices of Virginia... Start doing that chicken scratch thing. Mm. You, know, you scratch it in one place. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is, is it, it worse than that. When, when we're saying whipped, they're striped, so they open sores 30. Oh. 30 open wounds on your back. Lemon juice. Is it, is it salt or something? Vinegar? What? No, no, no. They just they just striped them. They do... Now I'm thinking <clears throat> for, for Punch. He's getting it worse than the other two. I see that coming. I'm just thinking how they can make it worse. So I'm uh, thinking no. a bit of lemon juice on his sores. No, they, the other they, one got a bit of savile on. No, they <laughs> informed they informed John Punch uh, that his service to Gwyn was also going to be extended. Only his was going to be extended to the end of his natural born life. This sentence essentially made John Punch a slave. Hmm. And why the, did he? Why? Because he's not European. He was not European. Right, okay. Um, I thought I'd just ask. Yeah, I, th- I think I it had Clint. something to do with the fact that he was not European. Right. The fact that, you know, two other people had done the identical thing and got identical sentences. And he, the only the only factor I can see that, that was different about him was the fact that he was born in Cameroon. Right. Um, although it is known that sla- slaves I, were I like bought. to think that it wasn't because of his race. Mm. It was that he had a an attitude <laughs> and after he got whipped he went fuck you <laughs> I just turned around to and him. your mother <laughs> Gwyn was like <laughs> well I'm not standing for this what was the Scotsman and Victor just went thank so you sorry. thank you <laughs> thank you sir can I have another yes you've been reformed I, I, I no I don't I don't think that was what happened because we actually have I um, shit in your toilet when you weren't looking you can actually read the records of the... Because it was court proceedings, they kept written records and you can read them now. So there's nowhere in those written records to say, and John Punch turned and made many lewd comments <laughs> towards the justices who were much affronted and are taken aback. Although he probably did afterwards. After the sentence, I can imagine there were some choice words. I think I felt uncomfortable that you are describing what was essentially the first case of slavery in well, America. see, this is the thing. It wasn't like technically the first slave in America because it is known that slaves were bought by the colonists of Jamestown as early as 1619. It was still illegal to trade slaves at that time if you were British. Uh, so the merchant Robert Rich, Bobby Rich, he wisely decided he'd get around that just by flying a Dutch flag whenever he was carrying slaves <laughs> and claiming to be Dutch. Um, and he sold 20 people to the governor of Jamestown. The governor also decided to keep that transaction off the books. But... What John Punch was was the first time that they, uh, the people of Virginia, it's a lot the of justices, the other way, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, bribery, carrot cake being shared. Whereas this was, we are going to write in our records of our court sessions that this man is being made a slave, um, and it means that he became the first person to be legally acknowledged as a slave in the British colonies of America. It also set the precedent for the courts sentencing Europeans and Africans differently for the same offence. Within 60 years, indentured European servants working their tobacco plantations had been almost entirely replaced by African slaves. Europeans were still able to make deals to get across the Atlantic for a new life, but this was now in the role of domestic service. 
so you would you would go over and you would work in these landowners' houses, um, cooking, cleaning, all that kind of stuff. You wouldn't be doing the backbreaking labour. The colonies eventually diminished the legal status of Africans to the point where even the children of Andrew Johnson, an African who had worked his way up from an indentured servant in 1625 to being a landowner by 1650, so he'd he'd lived the dream and he'd done it. He even uh, had his own indentured servants. Um, And he was considered a respected pillar of the community as well. You know, Andrew Johnson was one of the elders of the town. He was somebody who would be... he, they'd seek his advice on things you know he did charitable works he he was you know a guy that everyone just knew um his kids had their rights and property stripped from them in 1670 pretty much as soon as he died right like well he earned it but you don't just get to be given things <laughs> you think you get to inherit so they should become slaves um no they they were considered black and they were they were considered black because they were um, black they were considered aliens and they used the term aliens as in illegal alien which considering we are less than a hundred years out from the starting of the colony and you know we're nowhere near um, the point at which the wars with the native people of America had stopped you know it was a bit rich um by 1672, King Charles II had legalised British participation in the slave trade and legitimised the rights of plantation owners in the colonies to use slave labour. Sorry, just to <clears> interject. <throat> mm? Would it, it was still serfs in Britain at this point? Uh, no, we've we've moved on from serfs now. So now you've just got the the working poor. We're, we're and... getting towards the working poor. Yeah. So would like would the lower class of Britain be aware of? Is the general population aware of what's happened in America? Is it just so abstract? I don't think it's something that was considered because it was, well, that's that's going on over there. That's got nothing to do with us. You know, we're working, doing the jobs over here. It it was much more the slavery and the use of, you know, cheap and um, sort of overseas labour became much more of an issue when it was around things like cotton right. because that was affecting the jobs that, British people did. There were no, there were no English sort of um, tobacco growers on the mainland, so they weren't in direct competition with you know the the jobs that were being done at home. So no, I probably think the poor weren't particularly aware of this, and if they were, the the only thing they knew about it was they could still buy a ticket to go over as an indentured servant should they wish and try the try the hand over there. So over three hundred eighty eight thousand slaves would be transported to the colonies and later the United States. But the population of slaves would grow to be over 4 million as it was decided that children could be born into slavery. Interestingly, though, the laws in the colonies stated that a child would hold the status of their mother and not that of their father, as was normal in English common law. Can you guess why that was? Because they've been split up and... Oh, no. This was so that slave owners would not have to acknowledge any children that might come as a result of their raping their female slaves because the child would keep... If if the child took yeah, from you. the paternal, he'd have to... Ooh, that's great. Yeah, except, you know, that person would have a legitimacy to say, well, actually, I'm your son. You know, I'm entitled to uh, protection from you to some of the, the status you have. So they changed it around to the mums. Those sneaky lawmakers. Oh, it's lovely, isn't it, that they'd even consider that. 
They basically. So yeah, what I'm real. saying is, these people made a law to make sure that rape was easier for them. I mean, they're keeping people as slaves. It's not much of a surprise. It's not much of a surprise. Yeah. But it's a. It's, a, it's just another level of, of low that you've you've planned it out to the point where. Well, I might want to have sex with some of these people I consider to be subhuman, and if I do that, I definitely don't want to have any consequences for me. Yeah. Beyond maybe having another slave that I can work while ignoring the fact that they have my eyes. Um, <clears throat> but interestingly, this meant that the child of John Punch and his wife, because he was able to get married to another indentured servant, were considered freeborn because she was uh, a oh, European. Oh, so indentured servants children aren't born in slavery no and then they don't have a contract well he was an indentured servant for life but his wife was an indentured servant as well she was white and european and she eventually served her terms of service so because it was by the female and not the male they weren't born they weren't sort of indentured for life like john was they got to follow what the mum had which was freedom Uh, and they changed changed his surname to bunch and was able to live as a free man so john punch's son bunch he was called Bunch Punch. No, he was called something Bunch. Oh, oh his second name um, was Bunch. Yeah, so they changed the family name to Bunch. Uh, and he lived as a free man. Brian. Brian Bunch. Brian Bunch. Uh, I don't think it's Brian Bunch. Slavery in the USA would eventually be abolished by the 13th Amendment in 1865. 225 years after the first slave was created in the British colony of Virginia. And only a short 144 years after that, a descendant of John Punch, his 11th great-grandson, to be exact, who just happened to have the name Barack Obama, became President of the United States. I didn't know that. That's amazing. And hopefully equality will be coming along any day now. So that is the story, a potted history of slavery and um, the first slave in the Americas, John Punch. This Brian Bunch, son. Who, you know, the Bunch family played the long game, but they eventually rose to, to rule that country for for uh, eight years. Cool. Yeah. Nice one, Joe. Well, yeah. See, I told you I'd have a happy ending. Barack Obama. And eventually his descendant would drone strike um, <laughs> Syrians. Yeah, but, it, oh, God, didn't he look cool in a tan suit? Come on. He's a very ca- charismatic president. Are you with me? Are you ready? I want to see you all fired up. Let's do this. See you next week. Click here for more news about Joe's beard. Beard news. <laughs> you clicked. It's about three inches. And he's... Uh... It's more than... Th- that is not three inches. Come on. You think it's more than three inches? Yes, that's way more than three inches. That's... You need to get that on a plate. It's a That's wire. four and a half on a, a bad day. <laughs>